We're going to look at chapter 14 where Paul and Barnabas were on this adventure, on this their first journey that they've been sent out from the church. Just to give you a little background and catch you up, chapter 13, you know they get sent out uh, to go and preach the gospel uh, to the Jews but also to the Gentiles. And they actually travel across the Mediterranean. They go to the island of Cyprus. They're there. Uh, for a while, and, and they have some success. They're preaching in the synagogues, and uh, then they go from Cyprus back north to the mainland, which is what we would consider the area of Turkey. Um, they land there to another city called Poseidon Antioch, and um, they go to the synagogue there, and they're able to preach some and have some success. But there's a little bit of a kind of get stirred up, and some of the people were not liking their message, and so uh, they traveled on and, and ended up in Iconium, which is at the beginning of chapter 14. Um, they're there, and they began to preach. They went to the synagogue there as well and began to preach the gospel, and they were having many people that were come to them, but then again, there was some division that began to happen, and then there were some people that really didn't like what they were saying, so there was a plot that began to take place to... Um, attack and kill Paul and Barnabas. And uh, so they leave from there and they move to Lystra, which is where I want us to kind of spend our time uh, this morning is this, this um, time that they were in Lystra. And I want you to notice something too that was going on. All this point on their missionary journey, they were going into the synagogue and they were able to do that because most of these places did have synagogues and they were talking to a primarily Jewish audience um, or uh, if there were, Gen- and there were Gentiles and Greeks there, but they had some kind of notion of the history of the Jews and so they knew a lot of this and so when Paul and Barnabas were preaching to them, they were able to go back and to talk about the God that they knew. They were able to go back and talk about uh, the God of Abraham and the God that rescued them from Egypt and, and brought them out of slavery and gave them the law and then uh, the talk about King David and then ultimately even to talk about the Messiah, talk about Jesus and the fact that he came and that he uh, walked on the earth and, and then eventually was crucified and then was resurrected. And that was really the basis of their story and, and what they were telling because a lot of people knew this. Well, as they've traveled along and come to Lystra, we're going to see that as they move through this, the Jewish influence has become less and less and less. And so when they come into Lystra, it doesn't say that they go into a synagogue because it's very likely that there was not one there. It's very likely that they didn't know much, if anything, about Israel and about the history of the Jews. And so we'll see that Paul doesn't talk to them about that, but he talks to them a little bit differently, and we'll get into that in just a second. Um, it does seem like this, and I want to make this point as we go in, because when we get into this story, this story just really begins to roll. Boom, 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 boom. But it seems like they had been there for some time, because we'll see in the later verses here that they had made some disciples. So it's almost as if Paul and Barnabas have been able to really kind of hang out with people and make some disciples to teach them about who Jesus was. And, and they were being pretty successful, which kind of makes sense that maybe Paul was, had been speaking and been talking for a while, and this cripple man was there. And this is probably not the first time, or even the third or fourth or fifth time that he heard Paul. He probably heard him for a while. But this day, something in him, Paul sees in him this faith that he's able to speak to him and to heal him. 
You know, uh, Paul and Barnabas have been given this gift by God to, to uh, do miraculous signs and healings to confirm the word that they were uh, sharing with the people. And so he looks down at this guy who was, the way Luke puts it uh, in Acts, he was really crippled. Okay, now I don't really know if there's a difference between just plain old crippled and really crippled, but the way uh, Luke does this, he says, look in verse 8, he says, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. So, I mean, this guy, he was really crippled. And Paul looks at him and he saw that he had faith and so he says, get up. And the man instantly jumps up and he begins to walk. Now, because he's been crippled for a long time, I mean, people are noticing this. They knew this man, and, and they see him beginning to uh, jump around and walk around and dance around. I'm sure he's excited about it. And so all the people, the crowd, begin to go, wow, this is amazing. In fact, they think that Paul and Barnabas are Zeus and Hermes. These are gods come down. Now, there's a little history to that because in this area, there was a legend that had been told a legend that Zeus and Hermes themselves had visited this region before. And they'd come into this region, and they'd gone to various houses, and no one let them in except an older couple. And this older couple did bring them in and was very hospitable to them. And because of that, Zeus and Hermes took them up and put them on a hill in a golden temple and made them priests to Zeus and Hermes. And then after that, Zeus and Hermes proceeded to kill everybody else and wipe them out. So the people are kind of thinking, all right, if this is really Zeus and Hermes, not only do I want a gold temple, I don't want to die. So they say, let's sacrifice to them. Let's, let's give them praises because look at all these great things that they're doing. And they got so excited about it, they began to speak in their own native tongue, the Laconian language, which Paul and Barnabas probably didn't pick up on too well. So it took them a little bit of time before they realized that what they were fixing to do is offer these bulls and, and these wreaths to them as sacrifices to a to honor them. And so uh, as they're bringing that in, this, this, this priest from the temple of Zeus is coming in and the crowd's coming in. They realize what was going on. And so Paul and Barnabas run out and they rip their clothes, which is a Jewish sign of, of blasphemy. They just, ah, they couldn't take this, um, that they were thinking that they were gods. And, and look there in verse 15, what Paul says. He says, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Now, before I know Paul has been spending some time talking to them about who God was, but here it, and whether he said this before or not, I don't know, but he really gets kind of serious right here. He tells them, you need to turn from these worthless things. What he was meaning is, these foolish idols, these idols, the, the things that you have worshipped essentially all your life, you need to put them away. And he gets pretty strong at them. He says, you need to put them, and you start thinking about, you know, this is what they believed in all their life, and that's what he's, in a sense, kind of attacking. Say, get rid of those things. It's kind of like, as I read this, I kind of started thinking about, you know, there are a lot of things that, um, I've heard all my life that I've kind of made maybe more worthwhile than they are, and they're really worthless things uh, when you get down to the bottom of it. Worst, uh, you know, some of those worthless things that, um, 
Amen. You have to be really smart. And you have to, you know what? You, you, you really need to look good. You know, you, you know what? People need to like you. You need to be important. You better be successful. You know, the world kind of puts some of these messages that, that, you know, we hear all our lives and they begin to take control and they begin to be the things that we run after and that they become our idols or our gods. And sometimes we need somebody to step up and say, hey, those are worthless things. You hear what the world's trying to tell you and Paul's trying to tell you, the, the things that they've been following and listening to their whole lives, he's saying, turn from them. He's saying, you know, you're going this way, you need to go this way. You need to turn from those to the living God. Sometimes I think, too, we think that we can maybe do both, worthless things and God. But he tells them to turn away from these worthless things, and he tells them to turn to the living God. And he can't go back and tell them who this living God is based on all the stuff that the Jews would know. He has to tell them who the living God is based on who they know and what they know. And so look at how he does this. I mean, this is, a, this is pretty much a farming, agricultural area. They, had, they actually had gods that uh, they worshipped that were of the crops and of the, the rain and, and of fertility and, and of produce so that, um, you know, that's where they've been focusing. But he tells them about this God. He said, uh, um, middle of 15, says, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, God let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. He tells them to look around and see who God is. He is right here. He is all around you. This is the God that I'm telling you about. In fact, it reminds me very much of what Paul will say later in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, when he says this. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. That if we'll look around in nature, look around us, that the living God is here and close and very near. Last week, I, um, my family and I went to Lubbock Christian University for homecoming. And we were there, and they have a group, a singing group called Best Friends that uh, performs in various churches and various venues. And, and they were performing at homecoming, and they, they had this concert, and there was a large group of people listening to the concert. And they have a really good sound this year, and so they were just, you know, really, really going. And I looked over... And here, kind of toward the back of the crowd, standing off to the side, there were two small little children. They were a little bit bigger than toddlers, right at toddlers. And as that music was playing, they were just together. They were moving to the music. And I thought, that's God. God puts that beat. He puts that love of music. He puts that in our hearts. And it just, I mean, it just came out natural in them. And, and I think, okay, I see God there. 
How many other times is God, our God, the living God, present and around and near and moving and active and we miss him? And, and Paul is saying, look, you can see God. He's right here. See him. He is the real God. And he didn't have to go back necessarily to Jewish scriptures, but he was able to show them in where they lived. And God is very near. And he did this, and he did it, and they began to believe him. In fact, though, it, it's almost like they just barely believed because it says that... Um, even with the, verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. This crowd is, they want to sacrifice to him, but they begin to see and they begin to follow and they think, okay, okay, I see this God. And about the time it seems like they have a handle on it, some Jews show up. And these Jews show up that have not liked this message that Paul and Barnabas have been speaking. In fact, they don't like it so much that some of them, don't like it a lot because they came from Iconium, which is about 20 miles. That's a pretty good trek. But the people in Antioch, they really didn't like it because they hiked about 100 miles just to come over here and to go across and, and, and to pull down what, uh, what Paul was trying to say. And they come in, and it seems like that it doesn't take very much time at all to get this crowd to turn against Paul and turn against Barnabas. And in fact, it, it turns the crowd so quickly that they don't even drag him outside. Typically, when they would stone someone, they would take them outside the city first and then stone them so they didn't have to drag them out. In this case, they stone them right where they stand. It's a, you know, where's the rock? Find anything they can and they're stoning them right now. This crowd turns on a dime. This crowd, in fact, it's interesting that these people, you know, they believe these gods and then Paul comes in and then it's kind of like, okay, well, now we believe these gods and Zeus and Hermes and, and then after that, it's like, okay, well, we'll listen to you about your living God and then, oh, no, these gods that we were going to sacrifice to, let's kill them. And this crowd is so fickle, so back and forth and just, you know, okay, I, you know, I, I, I believe that and, oh, really, is that real? And, and, you know, which is so different than it is today, right? You know, there are so many things that we can get so easily distracted by. The busyness of life, the, what was the word you used, Mike? Hecticness, to tell John, that hecticness of, man, there's so much stuff going on that it, we get so easily distracted so quickly. These guys here, and so often us, when we are pulled away in so many different ways, it's because that rock, that solid base, that looking to who is the king. I want to follow Jesus. If I'm looking to him and seeing how he lives and where he's going, then I have a clear path. I know what I'm about. And so it makes it more difficult to get off that path if I know who I'm following. If I know, if I'm working to become his fully devoted follower, I'm watching after him and taking steps like he takes steps. And it's much more difficult to get distracted if I'm watching the guy that's leading, and I'm trying my very best to be like him. But this crowd, they're all over the map. And they end up stoning Paul, and they think that he's dead, so they take him and they drag him outside the city and leave him from dead, and they go on in. And then the disciples, which I'm telling you, you know, had to have, because these were not just converts. Okay, it doesn't use the word converts. use the word disciples, which are learners, these are people that are 
following. They, they are not just saying, okay, yeah, I believe, boom, and it's done. But they are ones that are tr- really wanting to make this a life journey of what they believe. So he uses the word disciples here. And so they'd spent some time with him and they gather around Paul and they gather around Paul. And I don't know what was going on there, uh, whether they were kind of going, now what? Or whether they were praying or, uh, and, and, I, and it doesn't say whether Paul was actually dead and this was a miracle he was raised to life or whether he was just knocked unconscious. I don't know what happened, but we do know that he was out and they thought he was dead and a little bit later he gets back up. And I imagine that, you know, he gets back up, he dusts himself off, and he goes, hmm, and you know what? That was kind of painful. In fact, that hurt a lot, and I don't like that. This is too much. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving. And so he runs off to Derby. But that's not really what it says, is it? It's crazy. He gets up, he dusts himself off, and where does he go? He goes back into the city back in the city where the people that had just stoned him were. Now, I don't know if he goes back in there and there's any confrontation or if even he means to confront them. But he does go back in there knowing that there's a risk that that could happen. And he knows that going back into the city represents pain and suffering and hurt and maybe even a little place that's afraid, you know, it's kind of fearful to go. I don't know about you, but when there are things that are happening to me, then when, when people do some stuff to hurt me, um, I, the last place I really want to go is that direction. When there's something that I'm afraid of, I, it's hard for me to move in that direction. I want to go the other way. Um, you know, when I know I need to talk with someone because of something I've said to them or something I think they've said to me and I, we need to work this out, I don't rush, I don't walk in. It's, that, that's tough to do. But Paul goes that direction. Um, he goes that direction. In fact, what he does doesn't really make sense, honestly, unless his king is Jesus. Because he goes back into the city because his king is Jesus. I, you know, for the last several months, we've been studying the this idea of kingdom living and what it means to live life in the kingdom and to, to be a fully devoted follower and to do it and, and to do it to be um, created by God, created by God as the apex of creation, that we are the objects of his affection, that we are loved by him, that we are children of the king. And to think about that, and we study that, and it's a good thing, but I'll be honest with you, I think sometimes where we miss out, where we lose it, is we go nice study, then we go home, and we go back to regular life, and we don't live life as if we're children of the king. We don't go back into the city. We go to normal, regular life. And that's where I think we miss out. I think we miss out on how he transforms us and changes us, how he makes us more like Jesus. Because, see, that's why it's crazy for him to go back in the city, but he has to go back in the city because Jesus goes back in the city because of who Jesus is. In fact, Paul will say later, um, this is not in the reading, but in verse 22, if you look there, Paul says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's not easy, 
But it's the not easy that grows us, that transforms us, that changes us, that helps us discover what it's like to live life in the kingdom, to live life with the king. So Paul and Barnabas do go back into the city, and the next day they go on to Derby, And they go on to Derby, and there are many converts there. And they stay there for a time, and they, they make disciples there. And they, before they leave there, they, they appoint elders, and they strengthen the disciples. Then they come back to Lystra, where they had the struggle. They appoint uh, elders, and they strengthen the disciples. They go to Iconium. They strengthen the disciples and appoint elders and go all the way back where they came from, chapter 13. They end up in the church that sent them out. And at that church, they gather all the people together, and they report, and it says in verse 27, they reported all that God had done through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. You see, this whole story of Acts really is about what God's doing, what God's doing in and through people, which is the same thing today, what God is doing in and through us. It's him. It's his work. But they reported it, and they praised God for what he was doing and what he had been doing uh, in their lives, the same work that he does today. As we close, I want to give you something very practical. I hope my prayer was this as we go through this 14th chapter, that the Word of God, the Spirit of God, would speak to you in some way, looking at this story, and would connect with something that's going on with you. And you would be able to make, um, pay attention to what the Spirit was saying to you through the Word in your own life. And one of the ways that I hope that that might solidify this is I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me in a little bit different way than maybe you've done it before. I'm going to ask you to use your hands. But here's the thing is, we've always used our hands in prayer for a long time, you know, when we were little kids like this or like this or mom and dad would tell you to do this. But I'm going to invite you to use your hands a little bit different this way. And again, it's an invitation. Don't feel like you have to, but I'd encourage you to do this. Um, I'm going to start the prayer, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to start with your hands down. You can either lay them on your lap or you can just hold them straight out or whatever. And what this is, is like this symbolizes with our body and with our heart, there may be some things we need to let go of. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start the prayer, and then I'm going to be silent because you know the specific things maybe that you need to let go of. Maybe there's some things like this. Maybe there's some... um, some worthless things that you need to let go of. Maybe there's some of that, you know, oh, pulled here and pulled there and that busyness and that distractions and some of those things that maybe you need to let go of. Um, Maybe there's some other things that are going on that you just need to give to God and let Him have. So if you will, let them fall from your hands. And then after that, in the middle of the prayer, then I'll ask you to go ahead and turn your hands back up. And at this point, after our hands are empty, we ask God that he would put in there the very things that we need. Maybe it's the strength to go back into the city. Maybe um, it's something that we have been struggling with and need to go do. Um, It may be just his grace and his mercy and his love that you need. You know, your heart knows what you need to ask God for, but ask him to fill these things in your heart. And 
as I conclude the prayer, then Mike will come up and we'll lead our song and we'll be done in here for today. But my prayer after this is that the journey that Paul and Barnabas went on to be the follower of Christ in whatever place they were put, that that would be your journey as well, that your journey would be an active journey, uh, a bold journey to let God move and work in your life. So uh, I, I'd like to ask you if you would, invite you if you would, close your eyes, and if you put your hands down, uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're our Father, that you're our God, uh, and that you've given us every good thing. Father, there are many times things that we hang on to that we know we shouldn't. Um, and, and so, Father, we just ask today that uh, you would take these things from us and we give them to you. And so, Father, each of us individually will share with you now the things that, that we want to give to you. And Father, we trust that you take these things from us uh, and that they're yours now and we can leave them with you uh, and that you're powerful enough, strong enough to take all of them. And Father, as we turn our hands over and face them up, we ask that we might receive your, as always, as you've always given us, your love and grace and mercy. But, Father, each of us have things that, that maybe we need from you now. And so, Father, individually we ask these things of you now. And Father, we receive these things gratefully and know that you are a good God and you want to give good gifts to your children. And we thank you and praise you for, for giving us the very best that we need. God, we, I pray that as we move from this place today, that the things that are in your word, the things that are of you, will be more and more a part of us. Father, I pray... Um, as Paul did for these people that he was with. He prayed for them many years later to um, have Christ formed in them. Father, I pray that, Jesus, you would be formed in us each day, that our lives would reflect you, uh, that we would truly be children of the King and that would be known by the way that we live, by the way that we speak, by the way that we are. We praise you and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh -huh.